And welcome to another episode of the Sartorial and Geek Podcast by Webster Style, where we talk about bow ties, comic books, and everything in between. I'm your host, Webster Style, the man, the voice, the fragrance, coming back one more again. And if you're familiar with this show, you know the first thing we do is jump right into the download. Now, this download is in my opinion, quite peculiar. If you take a chance to uh, watch myself and Brian Saff over on the NRW checkpoint every week, you know that we have seen our fair share of interesting, to say the least, simulation games come out over the past couple of months, specifically for PC. Well, this one has now transitioned its way over to consoles, and this game is a game about house flipping yes the house flipper is a simulation where you purchase houses and you are a one man wrecking crew remodeling crew and then you're able to flip these houses and sell them hopefully for a profit so if you are someone who is very much a diehard fan of hdtv this sounds like the game for you and it retails for $19.99. I'm pretty sure it's on the PlayStation family systems and I would bet money is probably on the Switch as well. Uh, I have an Xbox console so that is where I see it and if you are a Game Pass Ultimate member or at least Game Pass in general it is currently on Game Pass so you can play it as part of your monthly subscription. I just feel as though these simulations are weird and wacky but more importantly, they're fun and you can really utilize your, your gaming console to really explore maybe some things you thought about doing in real life, but just don't have the capital for in this case to actually do. So you can download this game and live out your HGTV fantasies until your heart's content. And that is House Flipper from Frozen District. It retails for $19.99. If you have Game Pass, you get that discount. So it's $17.99 and it's on your Xbox family systems and more than likely on PlayStation as well as Switch. And of course, it's on PC. Now let's go into the spotlight. Now the spotlight this week is for an event that I have been looking forward to for many years. I wasn't able to attend last year and then the year before. Well, COVID got that bad boy but it is the one convention I look forward to every year and that is BlurCon and at the time of this recording we are just a week away from the start of BlurCon and I am excited it's a chance to see old friends new friends uh, and also to hold a panel this year we we as in Webster Style Sartorio and Geek will be holding a panel Sartorio and Geek Fandom fashion and future featuring myself as a panelist but more importantly featuring the literary juggernaut that is dana from good red herring the designer extraordinaire frenchie from j motor llc and of course the tech entrepreneur himself will map now we are going to be discussing a myriad of topics when it comes to how fandom fashion and the future collide so let me ask you a question how does your fandom influence your style or your manner of dress from the boardroom to the classroom to the bedroom our fandom permeates every aspect of our lives we're going to discuss how our individual and collective geekdoms have changed our current sartorial perspectives and a perspective on what is to come in the future so it looks like it's going to be an exciting panel so if you are in attendance at BlurCon this coming week feel free to stop by on saturday evening 
at 9 p.m. in the Roosevelt Room where we can get a little bit geeky, a little, get, a little bit sartorial, and just have a whole lot of fun. But if not, just make sure you come to BlurCon anyway. It's going to be a wonderful time, and I just cannot wait. This week, we finally take a trip back to the long box with a pair of milestone titles. Now, this one, the first one we're going to talk about is Blood Syndicate Season 1, Number 2. From Jeffrey Thorne, writer, crisscross Arter, artist, excuse me, Juan Castro Inker, and Will Quintanilla, as far as the lettering is concerned. Now, this is a book that obviously, if you listen before, you know I was very excited when the book came back, and especially with Chris Cross doing the art. Now, if you're not familiar, Chris Cross did the art on the original book back in the 90s. Um, as someone who has been a fan of his since then, it is interesting to see how his art has evolved since then. It's still him. Because when you read comics, you, you tend to pick up the distinctive style of each artist where you can literally pick out artist's work from another. Chris Cross's art has changed to the point, in my opinion, where it looks like his, but it, you can definitely see he's evolved and elevated his craft. And I think also the, the coloring and the ink as well, inking as well, lend a bit more of a dynamic uh to crisscrosses art and i think there's more of an evolution of the business and technology in in that respect more so than just uh crisscross getting better as an artist as well or he just has some damn good inkers and colorists uh working with him this this time around but i really love the story that jeffrey jeffrey thorne is is writing in the first book we saw what happened with wise son is he came home and also we got the introduction of fade and this issue we see more of what's going on with Tech Nine and him going back home to his overly religious father. We still get pieces of what's going on with uh, Wise Son and Fade in the during the course of the book. But this this book is really Tech Nine's story and what he's dealing with. He's dealing with a a mother, uh, a baby mama who refuses to let him see his child. Uh, it's you know it's real life stuff but then toward the end we see how the gangs are coalescing how they are coming together now that icon has removed all of the foreign entities and we see holocaust enter the fray and i will say this much holocaust is more of a homicidal maniac now than he ever was back in the original book just from a couple of panels in this book i overall am very impressed with the story i'm very impressed with the direction of how things are going uh, my only not only caveat but my question is since these milestone first seasons have been about six issues that's a lot of story to tell in six issues issues when you have such a diverse diverse cast as blood syndicate how many characters do they really plan on introducing in these first six issues how if they end up debuting a lot of fan favorites like brick house and some of the others masquerade how much time are they going to get to their individual stories in this season one i cannot foresee and again i'm not a writer i'm not the writer of this book so i don't know i can only make a judgment or I can only hypothesize after two issues and these two issues we've had spotlights primarily on two of the main characters um, of blood syndicate in general there are a lot of gang members in blood syndicate that could be spotlighted and with only probably four issues to go 
it's going to be very difficult so i see this more so and i'm just kind of putting it out there as a foundation origin story for blood syndicate as a whole i think we may only get a few more of the mainline characters that we know and love at least those of us that read the original book introduced and probably get more of the um extended cast of characters in a season two whenever that comes out because right now we have four main players in tech nine wise son fade and holocaust and we don't have a lot of information on holocaust but i think i have to read static i feel like there may be some information there probably not much and also we have a, a blip on fade as to his powers and his control or lack of control of those again Nothing about uh, Fade's sexual orientation has been discussed, which was a very prominent part of the original run, which I absolutely loved, uh, as well as Holocaust and that battle between Tech Nine and Wise Son for the Blood Syndicate. And again, I know they're not going to retread on old storylines, but I would assume there are fundamental character traits that are going to translate to these characters now because that's who those characters were then and just like even with fade and uh, tech nun and wasan these characters are still the same just in 2022 instead of 1990 whatever so i am very much looking forward to it but i'm i am reserving my not judgment but i i am not getting my hopes up for a full-blown uh, introduction of all the characters i love in season one because it's just not enough time for that but i i can't wait till we see brick house i can't wait to see Kwai. i can't wait to see oral even though he was later on down the run of the original blood syndicate run there's so many characters i want to see aquamarine they're just they're just too many characters from blood syndicate i loved uh in the original one they were just a, a team that had so many great dynamic characters that really could stand on their own and i i really can't wait to see if they bring dmz into the fold and how that storyline with their alien and in the midst of a street gang really plays out in 2022 that's going to be really awesome if they do pull that trigger next up on my milestone journey is hardware season one number six writer brandon thomas Artist Dennis Cohen, inker, inker Bill Sienkiewicz, and then lettering, coloring, one of the two, I forget, uh, Chris Sotomayor. Now, one of the things, I'm sorry, I was colored by Chris Sotomayor, letters by Rob Lee. Now, one of the things that I enjoy with hardware the most is, is Dennis Cohen drawing the book the book and character he created way back when so every time i flip through the pages it is like a blast from the past and bill sinkevich i love his art by itself but him and dennis are just a match made in heaven when it comes to pencils and inks if there no one else should ever ink dennis cohen's dennis cowan's pencils ever again I mean, for real, this is just a match made in heaven. I know they've worked together in many respects over the years in this capacity and vice versa because they are both very dynamic and awesome artists unto themselves. But their their pairing together is just really great in this book. And again, it's, it's Dennis Cohen doing hardware. It's what is not to love about this. I mean, the writing could be trash. It's not trash. I, I love the story that Brandon has been crafting over the past these past six issues. I love the reinterpretation of Alva framing hardware 
Curtis for the Big Bang and using that experimental gas. I love that and how that's reframed in a modern era, especially with technology the way that it is. I, I love the uh, reintroduction of old characters. Uh, now forget the the multiple man sort of analog that's in these last few issues and him fighting his hardware. I, I love it. I love this book. And with this book, it really sets up the fact that Curtis has been very isolated from everything else that's going on with my with Dakota and the Big Bang and those new heroes that are cropping up. Obviously, there's a acknowledgement of a static, I think, somewhere along the way, but icon. And what this book does is starts to set up after everything is done, Alva is Curtis clears his name. Alva is quote unquote in custody. We'll see how that works out in a season two. It puts hardware on a direct course with, I'll say, an interaction with Icon. And that is what I'm looking forward to because they are very much a clash of ideals. And I would say not like a Superman, Batman sort of thing. I would say so because I would think that, um, Icon, Icon is very Superman is just more of a conservative sort of bent but he is that in my opinion analog of that good Negro uh, to use a term but obviously a lot more defined and a lot more backstory considering his uh, his background and story and then Hardware is very much that uh, especially now jaded against the system the system doesn't work for everyone you got to go outside the system but again, he has that Batman sort of motif in Iron Man because of the mechanical suit that he employs um, in his crime fighting and bringing individuals to justice. So I will very much look forward to when these two interact and another book I'm talking about probably next week, the milestones in history, where you have these retelling of stories from American history dealing with people of color, particularly African-Americans in u.s history that's bookended by the milestone characters and there is a further setup for icon versus hardware coming soon so i'm looking forward to seeing that you see some of that here but this book unto itself it's a, a really good way to wrap up that story obviously with a character like alva in those deep pockets uh, you do not think that he will stay in jail for long and he will potentially get out to make Curtis's life a living hell eventually. And with that, the long box is shut again. We're going to take a break. Be sure to check out our Patreon. Uh, you can be a producer, excuse me, associate producer for just a buck. Uh, producer for three bucks. You get access to the Centurial Sunday's radio show. In addition to all the other great perks from the tier one and then tier three, the producer or excuse me, the executive producer line. You also get access to the exclusive and I mean exclusive off topic podcast so check it out we'll be right back after the break and we are back and we have an awful lot of reviews for you this week let's start off with i finally got a chance to sit down and watch dr strange and the multiverse of madness now i have to say overall i thought the movie was very enjoyable it was it was a fun movie to watch i think that the whole spoiler alert Wanda as the villain it uh, there was a, a a matter of a psychosis there because you have this chick who essentially hell-bent on getting to children 
that she's never actually had that she made up that just happened to exist in other universes she needs mental help so it was i didn't think she was evil i thought she was somewhat like i felt bad for her and the fact that she went through these lengths and she still hadn't dealt with her grief and that's one of the things that it was kind of alluded to like you she had some sort of resolution at the end of one division but clearly she didn't she just moved on from the her grief of viz and losing him and what happened there to channeling that to becoming obsessed with these children who never existed in the first place and not caring what happens as she tries to get to these children and for me it just there was something lacking there in her being the villain of the story now it was a natural progression of her storyline in mcu to that extent i would definitely um give kudos to them for their continued awesome storytelling but there was just something missing for me as a the tension of the film because it was wanda because let's be frank i i don't ever or never ever get the inclination that wanda is actually going to win just because she was an avenger just because of the sort of trauma that she's gone through and dealing with and and how those things or how that trauma has influenced her her actions i never ever thought that she was going to win i never ever thought there were going to be real consequences to what she was doing simply because of who it was and why they were doing these things so for me it was more or less just the, the fan service part of the film and trying to not figure out but really enjoying how things go along we saw the introduction and quick dispatch of a version of the illuminati uh, we also and this is one of the things i was looking forward to sam raimi as director i feel as though this was a very very sam raimi film the last act the last half um a lot of his trademark camera style his how he does that sort of deadpan slapstick horror you saw some of that especially toward the end with the um i forget the soul things whatever that dr strange ended up controlling i like the fake out though because those of us that have watched the what if series we saw the initial dr strange and multiverse trailers and we thought that oh the zombie uh, Doctor Strange was there from the zombie universe, but it, it really wasn't. And I, I like that fake out. I was like, oh, they faked this out, and that was kind of cool. I, I also I like the obviously it's a Sam Raimi film, so you know Bruce Campbell's going to have a cameo, and in his cameo there was a very big homage to Evil Dead and his character of Ash with some of the, with what happened. And, it, and funny thing is, it took me a minute to get it. I didn't get it until the after credit scene or one of the after credit scenes uh where it went back to bruce campbell's character that he played in the movie i'm like oh that's an evil dead homage oh like i didn't get like i love the evil dead series i've watched all the movies in addition to the television series and i love bruce campbell as ash it's he is one of the most iconic uh horror movie heroes ever in my opinion so i i love that aspect of the movie and the movie was enjoyable and I'm going to skip into Miss Marvel as well because this this plays into my bead on Miss Marvel. So with Miss Marvel episode four, I want to say this before I get into the other part of what I'm going to say. Miss Marvel is a wonderful series. I love this series. I love the glimpse of this world that I'm getting in this series. I love the character Miss Marvel and I love what it's establishing. But it seems like everything with phase four 
is merely establishing a new foundation for the MCU post snap. So with that outside of Loki, I don't feel like anything else is really that high stakes to make me care is not the word, but to have that excitement that I have had. The, the first batch of Marvel shows you had that excitement because you had a kind of a change in status quo and everything was new now with miss marvel it's a good show it's a great show but that excitement of watching another marvel property and i don't want to say the marvel bloat because it's not so much about bloat it's about as a fan you knew phase one phase two phase three everything was leading to somewhere to some extent we got there early on when avengers uh, came out we got that cut scene with thanos right now nothing seems like it's interconnected nothing seems like it works together and i think that's the biggest issue since it's a reset there there's just not as much to get excited about and that's one of the things i loved about the mcu everything was exciting and i think more so because i i feel that way also because they're like i still haven't watched eternals still haven't watched shang because there's nothing there's nothing that says oh you need to you need to watch this to understand this part of the story or they're, they're interconnected nothing seems interconnected and i think dr strange and the multiverse of madness suffers from that because yes you have and i forget uh the end credit character that charlie's there on this plan and again i'm not a huge dr strange fan so i don't even remember who she is uh but I know that has something to do with what's going on forward, even with the changes to Doctor Strange as a result of the multiverse and madness of madness. I don't care because I don't know what all of this means. Maybe we'll get more clarification um, Thor, Love and Thunder. I don't know because there there is something lacking with this phase four and the lack of interconnectedness, the lack of a meaning to all of it it seems like we're just seeing this post post blip world and we are just seeing how the world has changed like i said it's like a, a building a new foundation for this world so they could go to whatever is going to happen in phase five and while that is intriguing to watch it's not exciting to watch all the time it does not give one uh an excitement to check out every single thing that is put out even though i still do it i can see a lot of people being burned out because it's like why am i going back right now none of this really fits and you can really choose this or that and not miss anything so that's what i feel on dr strange and then by extension uh, miss marvel episode four which was a beautiful episode i i really love that you got some more explanation of her backstory of the gin uh i love the action scenes i i love how miss marvel is very much a novice at everything but her fighting regardless of how capable it is it always comes across as everything's instinct and not really knowing what she's doing she's not trained she's not, she's fighting against these jinn who have been this way for hundreds of thousands of years and they perfected their craft and she's fighting them off and it's all instinct it's all survival it's all flight or fight and that comes across in the in the movements of the fight scenes of how it's choreographed and i really like that that the little attention attention to detail they don't choreograph her as is someone who instinctually knows how to fight and to defend herself because she now has these powers she is learning as she goes and literally making stuff up 
as she's flipping around and has the bangle. So I love that part. I love the character development overall. There is nothing bad about this series. I, I really enjoy it. It is such a refreshing look at the superhero genre, in my opinion. But realistically, this is a series that could have been put out anywhere, anytime, as far as Marvel is concerned. And I still would have the same sort of opinion of it uh, without its interconnectedness. And again, that may change by the time we get to episodes five and six with the rest of the MCU. I don't know what the implications are, just much like the uh, Black Widow. Obviously, with that taking place in the past, you get some impl implications as far as what could happen in the future. And we saw that pan out in Hawkeye, which I loved. But it's like everything after Hawkeye, how is that connected? What does this matter to this world at large? So that's what I'm hoping for Marvel to come back with. They say that Feige is supposed to come and talk about uh phase five very soon and why where things are going how things connected so i am looking forward to that now for the last main live review let's talk about the fantastic beast series so i actually got a chance to sit and watch fantastic beast the secrets of dumbledore and i really enjoyed the movie i don't know why the movie got as much hate as it did i will tell you this though i am not getting into the uh he says she said or all the fallout whatnot regarding uh johnny Depp and amber heard but i would have had a hard time believing that um jew law's dumbledore was once in love with johnny depp's um uh grindelwald maz michelson or maz mickelson coming in taking the place i I got a better sense that these dudes could have been lovers at one point in time. Uh, Maz Michelson has a certain uh, way about him in playing this role where I definitely see there is a compatibility or used to be compatibility with younger versions of Dumbledore and himself where they would have been these madly in love lovers who share these this ideology as far as muggles and, and, and magic wielders. So I, I get that. I don't think I would have gotten johnny depp um i would have believed that and that's only based on not him as an actor but how he played grindelwald in the first two first two movies that's just my opinion i i i'll never get a chance to see if he would have pulled it off or not but maz mickelson coming in was definitely a character that made me believe that previous love story between the two I think that overall the Fantastic Beast series, I've enjoyed them. My biggest issue with this movie wasn't the quality of the movie, is that it had been so long since the second one came out. I'm literally trying to remember what happened in the second movie and the first movie to keep up with what's going on now. And that's that was the biggest issue I had with following this movie and really, really enjoying it. And overall it was good i there's something about the wizarding world that just has a charm to it that i think nothing else really comes close to right now uh the characters and the character development how they're played uh the gentleman who played uh, the american jacob i believe i forget his name i love him he makes these movies uh he is so funny and hilarious and he's just such a regular guy in this fantastical world and um uh Eddie Redmayne uh, playing um, 
uh, I forget the, the main character's name. Newt's commander. Yes, he, he has that role down. Uh, I, I absolutely love him in this role. And I enjoy these movies a lot more than I think I do going in and, and thought I would as a whole. So Fantastic Beasts of Secrets of Dumbledore is definitely something you can check out if you love the Wizarding World. I, I really enjoyed everything this week uh, when it came to Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, Fantastic Beasts of Secrets of Dumbledore, and of course, Miss Marvel Episode 4. We'll always have, you know, little nitpicks and criticisms, but overall, I really enjoy them. So let's get into outer space with trekking out. In this case, we are at the next to the last, the penultimate episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And this one was entitled All Those Who Wander. We finally got a reveal of the Gorn, which breaks canon because officially before Strange New Worlds, the first official uh, sighting of the Gorn was when Kirk fought Gorn. And I forget the episode of the original series, but we will let that go by the wayside. I will say this. This episode as a whole was very much like the last episode. It was very, it was generic. It was so-so until the very end. These writers are doing a very good job of crafting a story that is has an ending that makes you never forget this story. Uh, and with the heart and emotion and the character development that they have done over the past, in this case, nine episodes, or in this case, eight episodes before it. So let me get to what kind of disappointed me. The Gorn were a xenomorph brood sort of knockoff. I, I wasn't feeling that. I, I wasn't feeling that whole infected host and brood. I mean, not brood. Gorn babies popping out. I just, it felt so generic to me to add this horror movie element to the episode. I have a hard time believing that a species like this, that it conduct themselves like this, and consider how rapidly they grew, achieve warp technology. I have a very, I don't believe it. I really don't believe it. I, I would have to see more of Goring society to believe that, but I just don't believe they have, they achieve warp technology. They built those humongous ships we saw a few episodes ago and are as ruthless and cunning. I just don't believe it. There's no, this took me out of the Gorn being this boogeyman for me because I, I don't believe it whatsoever. They brought back the idea of red shirts without red shirts. So if you know Star Trek, and that's regardless of any series you watch, you know, if you see nameless characters being promoted or all of a sudden being um, a spotlight at the beginning of an episode, they're dead. They are seriously dead. So in this episode, we had Ensign Duke, who was promoted to Lieutenant Duke at the beginning at the going away party for the two cadets who are in a cadet we've never seen before. Spoilers, she dies too. Uh, you just knew that they were not making it out of the episode alive. And that's exactly what happened. They were cannon fodder for the Gorn babies that hatched. And it was, um, you know, you know, it is Star Trek. It's, it's classic Star Trek in that regard. So I, I can't be upset about that. And it, it was kind of fun. Uh, they just needed red shirts is really all they needed. Because if you're a fan, you knew what was going to happen to them. So those are, you know, some nitpicks I have. Overall, I still enjoyed the episode. And like I said, the ending is what got me. And spoiler alert, Hammer dies. I really enjoyed him on the series. I enjoyed his take on the ending. I enjoyed the heart 
that he had as his pacifist who chooses to serve in Starfleet. And while he will not fight, he will do everything he can to protect the ones he loved. And his dialogue with Uhura as this kind of pseudo father figure to her was absolutely beautiful and heart-wrenching at the same time when he realizes that he was infected by the Gorn and thus sacrifices himself to make sure everyone else will live. That was powerful, much like the episode before where Mbega's, I think it's Mbega's daughter, he, he let her go to live, even though it wasn't what he wanted or how he wanted and that he would never see her again. He let her go. He sacrificed his own feelings so once for her to survive. And you saw the opposite with uh, Hemmer as he sacrificed himself to make sure everyone else would live and then no one else would have to worry about the Gorn in this context. It, it was beautiful. It was it was so well done and it was so sad. And I'm going to miss him I, as a character that I, I every time he was on screen, I look forward to seeing what he was going to do, what he was going to say, uh, both individually and in context of his interactions and dynamics with the rest of the crew so i'm gonna miss him a lot and then leanne is gone at least she's leaving because they had a young woman who was a survivor of the gone and obviously if you've watched this series you know that is very much her backstory and she is now going to help this young woman find what family she has out there i thought that in that respect Leanne got some closure with her own issues with the Gorn and now she's able to find a way to heal by helping this young girl. I like that and I am interested to see one if she just comes back next episode or if this is something that will wait until next season for her to return to the Enterprise. And with that, with these major changes that happen in the penultimate episode of this series, what is going to happen next week? I'm I'm very much excited because you have a whole dynamic change in the ship with one episode left to go in the season. It seems kind of weird, but also it's a wonderful way to set up season two and make us wait at the edge of our seats for season two to debut. So I am looking forward to Star Trek Trains New World. Like I say, episode nine, episode nine became a really good to great episode because of the ending before then it was so so and with the alien slash predator homages throughout the whole series it just kind of took me out of it from a being like oh this is a really good episode this is like this is okay like i'm enjoying it but it, it wasn't anything new so that was my sort of qualms about it but the ending just made it better because these characters are so well done and that's one things that really really makes star trek strange new worlds a must watch and not just a trekkie fan but a sci-fi fan as well now i don't know about you i don't like uh anything or want anything bursting out of me or bursting off of me except for my smell especially and only really when i smell good and of course that means it's time for the fragrance of the week now this week it's summertime i'm looking more into those lighter summer eve fragrances and that brought me to sensational by kirk elliott now this is a 30 milliliter bottle it's going to run you a hundred bucks for edp now with this one you find notes of lime and honeysuckle heart notes of black pepper and orange blossom 
and then base notes of Pacific Musk, sea salt, and then grapefruit. Let me tell you, this one, you smell it, it smells like summer. I wore this one last week or so when I was going to a family event, so we were outside all day. I will say that the performance, and again, I was, if you go to a family function, you know, at your mama's house, you can put the work. So it is not one that held up a lot through the sweat and everything, which is understandable. If I was just going as a guest, then it probably would have lasted a, probably all day, if not longer. But since I was working, it didn't last as long as some of the other Kirk Elliott fragrances that I've had a chance to uh, utilize and use and test out. But this one was just really good. The lime and it that sweet tartness in the top, it's surprising because many other fragrances that I have uh, smelled and used with honeysuckle that honeysuckle is really powerful and to a degree overpowering the mix of those notes at that top really give me a good tart sweet at the top so you you get that summer vibe with that but also it's very mellow as well and then with the heart notes, the black pepper and the orange blossom, again, with orange blossom, a lot of times when I've utilized fragrances with those notes is that sweetness of the orange blossom, which is great. But that coupling with that black pepper. So you get a sweet spiciness. So you go from a sweet tartness to a sweet spiciness. And then with that base of these Pacific musk, sea salt and coconut, you definitely get an island vibe uh, from that one this is one that i would say definitely is great for beach party lounging on the beach it, it gives me great duration as far as you know on a normal day and i've worn another time when i wasn't out and about and working the way i was at the family uh gathering but i got a good eight hours from it uh with the with working with it i got about um, five to six maybe i didn't get a humongous amount of projection at first but again it's one one of the things i noticed a lot of these indie house edps is with the oils and the concentration of oils you get a lot more projection because of the increased body heat it almost irradiates it's one of the things that if you go back to some other podcasts when i talk about the kimberly new york fragrances they don't necessarily project like oh you just have to smell me but because of how the oil dissipate on your body because of the body heat you get a nice scent bubble around you all day and these kirk elliott fragrances work in very much the same way so that's my take on kirk elliott sensational is definitely one i'm going to utilize again until my sample is gone and then possibly con somebody if i'll do it myself into buying me a bottle uh of the fragrance because it's that damn good now what am i wearing today today i'm wearing something that's a bit cheaper um and this is nautica voyage this is a classic quintessential uh cheap summer fragrance i remember my first time being introduced to this fragrance was in 2012 i ended up being quote-unquote gifted a bottle from a former co-worker at a conference because he bought it while he was there it was too big for him or he couldn't take it back Anyway, he just told me to keep it, and that's before I really got into fragrances, and it's one that is very pleasant to the nose, and it's one is definitely built for the heat. And in this case, you're going to find top notes of apple and leaves, heart notes of lotus and mimosa, and the base notes of amber, moss, musk, and cedar. And I have to say right now at the time of this recording, I've had this fragrance on at least four hours, five hours or so, and it's still going strong. But of course, this is one I say that you don't have any issues over spraying because it's, it's 
it is such a good fragrance, but it's not a heavy fragrance. So I am, I've gotten about five hours and I'm I'm still smelling it under my nose. So I know that the projection is pretty good as well. But of course, I did overspray. But if you are looking for if you're looking to start your collection, if you're looking for a just a good, reliable fragrance to wear in the heat and not trying to spend a whole lot of money, Nautica Voyage is definitely the one to get. You can get a 100 ml bottle for about 20 bucks or so, give or take. Don't pay over 25 for this. Seriously, don't pay over 25 for it. But it is definitely one that I think any fragrance connoisseur should have in that collection because it's just if you live in places where you encounter hot weather every now and again, it's a good dumb reach where you have to think about it is going to work. And because of its smell, you can use it in multiple occasions. Good for the office. I don't know about black tie affair, possibly. But it's definitely good for the office, good for a night out. It's just a, a good fragrance overall. So that's my take on uh, Nautica Voyage, and that is what I'm wearing today at the time of this recording. Speaking of fragrances, of course, one of our sponsors is Pete and Pedro. While you may know them for their hair care products, they also have a robust line of designer-inspired fragrances, including Legend that is inspired by Tom Ford's fucking fabulous, Villain inspired by Tom Ford's Tobacco Vanilla, King inspired by creed green irish tweed rebel inspired by Creed events and hero inspired by aqua de joe these fragrances are all edps 50 ml bottles and they just cost just 49 dollars. and if you act today and utilize the code ehawks 10 or the link in the show notes you can get 10 percent off of your purchase yes 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 i always like saving money i don't know about you and 10 percent, especially look even at 49 bucks that's $4.90. That's $4.90 you get to keep in your pocket as a cup of coffee. That's that's a gallon of gas, okay? Let's be real. Well, depending on where you are. Here is a gallon of gas. Other places, it's not quite a gallon of gas, but you, you get my drift. All right, so that's my take for our sponsor. And again, our fragrances always smell good. And with that, we've come to the end of another show. Don't forget to check me out every week with my man Brian Saf on the NRW Checkpoint. Also, find me on social medias, on Instagram at Webster Style and at Sotorian Geek, on Twitter at Webster Style, and on TikTok at underscore Webster Style. Find me and everything that is Webster Style, anything and everything at Webster Style, WebsterStyle.com. And, of course, drop me an email info at WebsterStyleMagazine.com. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for your ear. Remember, stay safe out there and be blessed.